Hello and welcome back to Who Cares What's the Point, the podcast about the mind for people who think. It's good to be back after my break. Uh, Lots of things have been happening. I was a candidate in the New Zealand general election and um, we had a baby too who is now 11 weeks old. But uh, it's good to be back doing the podcast. Today, I am talking with Dr. Sandra Langschlag from uh, the University of Missouri-St. Louis in the USA. And we are talking about how to manage breakups, relationship breakups. Now, Sandra's been looking at testing various different ways of doing this. But in particular, she's talking about three different ways that she's testing their effectiveness to control or regulate our feelings of love that we're left with after a relationship breakup. Now, love is a complex attitude, motivation, emotion, feeling, depending upon how you frame it. Um, And we talk a little bit about that and some of the impacts that love regulation can have upon not just how we feel, but how our brain activity occurs too. Have a listen to the conversation with me and Sandra and make up your own mind. Uh, For joining us today, Sandra, um, perhaps we, we can start off with you telling me what inspired you to do this research or this line of research, because I noticed you've been doing similar things for a while now. Right, right. Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, so yeah, so my, this line of research is about, um, love regulation, which is the idea that we can maybe change how in love we are by thinking certain things. And the reason I started studying this was because I got this idea that people thought, um, they couldn't change how in love they were, you know, anecdotally people will say, um, well, you're either in love with someone or, or you're not. And there's like, what can you do about it? Right. And um, but I also know there's a large literature on emotion regulation, which shows that we can very well change um, our emotions. We can make them more or less intense uh, by thinking certain things. And so I wondered, um, why could we not do the same thing with our love feelings? So that's basically why I started um, trying in a lab if if our our participants could change how in love they were by thinking certain things. Mm. Um, And there's a couple of things that you've touched on there, which you talk about in the paper. Uh, One of those is the idea of love feelings, love regulation. And you bring up the idea or you test the notion that um, love is not actually an emotion. uh, And there are other ways of thinking about that. Perhaps you could um, talk about that a little bit. Right, right. And so that's actually a controversial idea. Not not everyone would agree with that. Um, but as I was thinking about the topic, I realized that love cannot really be an emotion, um, even though lots of people will, will say love is an emotion, um, because love actually elicits different emotions depending on the situation. So if you love someone and they love you back, that makes you very happy. Um, but it could also be the case that you love someone and they don't love you back and now it makes you very sad, for example. And so um, that led me to think that um, love can actually not be an emotion itself because it elicits these different emotions. And so um, therefore, I was unsure if the emotion regulation strategies that we know from the literature would actually be uh, would actually uh, change how in love we are if love is not an emotion. So, so it's love is very similar, but it's not quite an emotion. And so then we needed to test if those emotion regulation strategies could also be used to 
um, change love feelings. Mm, okay. So when you say love regulation, what do you, what do you mean by that? Because mm. there's this concept that you bring up of upregulation and downregulation as well. Tell me what you mean by regulation. Right. So regulation basically means um, changing the intensity um, so love regulation are uh, behavioral or cognitive strategies that we can use to change the intensity of our current love feelings. Um, and so you could either make them more intense, so um, be- become more in love with someone than you were before, um, which could be useful when you have a long-term relationship, for example. Um, or you could also try to downregulate your love feelings, so decrease uh, the intensity of your love feelings for someone, which could be especially useful if, for example, uh, if you're heartbroken, so if your your relationship just ended. And that's the context in which this study um, occurred, isn't it? This, this idea of relationship breakups uh, and how people could use various strategies to regulate their love feelings. You were testing some of those. So which were the strategies that you were particularly interested in testing? Perhaps you can talk about those because there, there's three there that you uh, tested. Yes, exactly. So with this study, we wanted to test three different strategies to see if, if people could reduce how in love they were uh, with an ex-partner. And so the first strategy um, was uh, is called negative reappraisal. And it basically entails thinking negative things about your ex-partner. So for example, um, he was very lazy or um, she never did the dishes, or, or whatever negative something you can come up with. And um, we know, I knew from a previous study that it would decrease love feelings, but in a previous study, it also made people feel worse, which was a bit surprising, because I thought if you're heartbroken and you are able to decrease your love feelings, um, it would make you less sad, but that didn't happen. So I wanted to replicate that previous unexpected finding. Um, and then the second strategy we called love reappraisal, and that is based on the idea that um, people can change their emotions by reappraising the feeling. So, for example, accepting that you are sad at a certain t- time. So, for example, my pet died, and now I'm sad, and that's 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 normal, and that's okay. So, it's sort of an acceptance or even a mindfulness approach. And so, we wanted to see if people that are heartbroken. They may be upset by the fact that they're still in love with their ex. So maybe if they could just accept that they are still in love with an ex, maybe that could make them feel better. Um, So that was the second one. And then the last one was distraction. Um, We know from the emotion regulation literature that distraction reduces your emotions. And so we wanted to see if we made people think about positive things that didn't have anything to do with their ex, um, if that would decrease their love feelings and if it would make them feel better. Yeah, so they they make perfect sense. I was interested in the idea of negative reappraisal. Is there anything in the literature that shows that there's a difference with the amount of, I don't know, venom that's contained in that negative reappraisal, whether it's kind of quite denigrating to the person or whether a reappraisal of actually this wasn't such a great relationship and they weren't such a great person for me to be with? Is, is there any difference with the intensity of that negative reappraisal? Well, so you bring up a great point, and this is something uh, that I don't think we have any data on, but it's something that I may be interested in in um, studying. So, so in my first study, we just told people um, think negative things about your um, your ex or the relationship. So maybe the relationship just wasn't good, um, and so we we had little control over what people were thinking. Um, in the latest study, we actually showed them prompts. 
on the screen that they um, that they had to answer in their head. And so prompts were things like, um, what is this uh, disgusting thing that your beloved or your ex likes to eat? Uh, or what is this annoying habit of your ex? And so we, we actually made it pretty specific for them to think about um, pretty con- concrete um, details, if you will. And I think that that is uh, helpful for people. What I don't think is helpful is what sometimes is called ex-bashing. So like he was an asshole anyway, something like that, Um, which, I mean, doesn't make much sense to me because, I mean, if you were still in a relationship with this person last week, uh, you obviously didn't think they were an asshole back then. And so I think this like thinking these nonspecific, very strongly negative things may not really help you but i don't have the data to to prove yeah, that yeah that, that would be an interesting future study but let's stick to this one for now um so those are the three sort of uh strategies that we could you're, you're going to be testing here in your experimental right. design so tell me more about um how you went about doing that and what your dependent variables were so how did you measure whether those strategies were effective or not Right. So, so we brought uh, 24 participants in the lab who were upset about a breakup that they had experienced. And um, they provided us with 28 pictures that included their ex-partner. And so we had them look at these pictures after performing these different uh, regulation strategies, to those three different ones, and also after um, uh, five seconds where they didn't do, didn't do anything. So that was sort of the baseline or the control condition. And um, the dependent variables were um, after each picture, they rated how in love they were. So they had a slider on the screen and they used a mouse to uh, put the slider either uh, all the way to the left, like I'm not in love at all, or somewhere in the middle or all the way to the right, like I'm, I'm very much in love. Um, another dependent variable was um, how positive or negative, negative they felt. Um, so that's called the valence of a feeling. And so if they felt good or bad, and then um, the last dependent variable was uh, a brainwave. Um, so it was an event-related potential component, so a brainwave. Uh, it's called the LPP, or the late positive potential. And um, so that's the brain's response to those pictures of the ex-partner. And we know from other research that that particular brainwave uh, signifies how much attention people pay to these pictures. And so we wanted to see if we if these three strategies could change or could reduce the amount of attention people pay to their ex-partner, basically. Okay, so you've got the strength of feeling, the love feeling, but also the amount of attention that they're paying to the pictures after they've tried this strategy. Um, right. You did a little bit of screening as well, didn't you, of your participants? And I'm interested in that because I guess that they would – what you want to avoid here, I guess, is any kind of floor effects, you know, so if they're not that upset in the first place, then there's nowhere for them to go. So how upset were were your participants around their relationship breakups? It sounds like quite a, you know, a morbid question, but um, yeah, from a design point of view, I'd I'd be interested in your answer there. Yep. Yep. So we, uh, we definitely screened them. So they had to be uh, upset about the breakup and we didn't really care about how long ago this breakup happened. Uh, because on the one hand, uh, usually this upsetness with breakups decreases over time. Um, but some people are totally fine like a week later. They're not upset at all mm-hmm. anymore. 
um, and other people stay upset for a long time. So we really measured this upsetness rather than time since breakup. And so um, the range, uh, on average, the breakups happened about six months ago, uh, but it ranged from about a, uh, a week ago to 15 months ago. So that was years ago, basically. Uh, but all of these participants still said they were upset. And so um, if I look at my manuscript, um, so we they rated how upset they were on a scale of one to nine. And on average, it was six and a half out of nine. Uh, and it ranged from three to nine. So so some people were more upset than others, but they were all upset about the breakup. Right, right. Yeah. The other thing that struck me was the um, photos that you were going to be using. And I guess that they mm -hmm. would have to be supplied by the participants themselves, right? right. So yes. what were the sorts of um, criteria that you had uh, around those photos? I mean, were they um, of, them, uh, of the ex-partner solo uh, or them <laughs> together? Or um, was it a happy face, a smiling face? I'm interested in how you managed to kind of um, organize those stimuli such that they were similar enough uh, yet stimulating enough, if you see what I mean. Right, yes. So actually, there were very little requirements. So the only requirement was that the ex had to be in the picture, um, but it could be the ex uh, by him or herself. It could be uh, with or without the participant. Uh, other people could be in the picture too. Um, and so, well, one reason was that it was hard enough for people to actually find those 28 pictures um, and send them to us. Um, the other is that we wanted those pictures to be representative of pictures that people may encounter on Facebook, for example. Um, and even for those pictures to be representative of everyday situations in which they may encounter their ex-partner. Um, so the ex-partner can be uh, walking on the street with or without other people, and then they may run into them. Um, now, so the pictures were very different. Oh, and there was one other thing. They could not be sexually explicit, so we didn't want people to send us um, nude pictures, mm. for example, uh, but that was more for ethical reasons. Um, and uh, so we had a, there could be a wide variety of, of types of pictures, but the important part here is that each picture was presented in all the regulation conditions, so in the control condition, in the negative reappraisal, in the love reappraisal, and in the distraction condition. And so these differences between pictures do not um, contribute to the differences between the regulation effects, if that makes sense. Yeah, because it's kind of like a within-person effect, right? They're being exposed to that same photos, that same group of photos with each condition. Right, exactly. Sure. Yes. Um, I, I'm just very curious about that. I mean, I guess one of the things that uh, a nightmare scenario that comes up in my head is actually one of those photos is with the ex-partner with what turned out to be their new partner. Um, and the, and right. then you kind of have a, you know, you've got a double whammy there. It's not just your ex-partner, but actually it's them with their new partner and they left you because of them. Oh, you know, yep. that, that's kind of one of the things that came up in my mind. Um, yeah. Did you control for that at all? Or did you ask for that? So we didn't ask about that. So I, I don't know if that happened, but it's very well possible. Yeah. Yeah. And also selecting 28 photos. I mean, that takes quite a lot mm -hmm. of emotional work, perhaps, you know, I can't, I can't assume that. But um, I know that if I had to look through, you know, in, in periods of my life, where I might have been upset about relationship breakup, having to look through a, a lot of photos and then send them to a stranger. Um, right. Yeah, that, that, that yeah, that, that's that that would take a bit of work, I think. 
Yes, definitely. So um, our so we paid our participants $40 uh, US dollars, and that's a little bit higher than we normally do for our studies um, because we recognize that it, that it took extra work before they came into the lab. They actually had to select these pictures and send them to us. And of course, like you said, uh, selecting these pictures of an ex-partner, if you're still upset about the breakup, is just not fun. And then you come into the lab and you have to then look at all these those pictures again and think about your ex in, in many different ways. Um, so, yeah, so we definitely recognize that uh, participating um, was uh, probably not fun um, for these participants. But they were all volunteers and they were also welcome to leave at any time if they didn't want to do it anymore. Sure. And in modern life, you yeah. know, as, as we know, with the, you know, the incessant exposure that we have to social media and many different platforms and many different devices that we use, you know, it's likely that we're going to mm-hmm. be coming across these photos unless we deliberately go out of our way to screen them out of our lives. So yeah, it's, it's kind of work that's yep. going to have to happen anyway. Yeah, true. Um, so one of the things in your methods, um, which you might have some thoughts about uh, explaining to our audience, is that you ensure that, or I'm not sure if you ensured, but they, by chance perhaps, all participants were right-handed, um, as determined by a handedness questionnaire. Why is why is that important to know? Yeah. So so. Um I used in previous studies only intentionally include right-handed people uh, because we're measuring brain activation and um, the brain is um, symmetrical, but not entirely. So your left, the left side of your brain is more involved in language, for example, and the right side of your brain is more involved in um, spatial navigation and more like creative and music type things. And so when you measure brain activation, it can... um, be a problem if you have some left-handed people in your sample because their brain may be the reverse. Um, so for them, the right side of the brain may be more involved in language and the left side more involved in spatial um, and creativity and things like that. So initially in my studies, I always included only right-handed people so that at least um, we knew that it wasn't a problem. But because um, it's so hard to find participants for these studies, we have now let go of that criterion. We still measure handedness. Um, So in this study, they just all happen to be right-handed. Because also right-handed people, their brains could also be flipped. And then some left-handed people could have a right-handed brain, if you will. So even by selecting handedness, you're still not entirely sure that all of your people in in the sample have the same left and right side of the brain. So that's why we let go of that um, criteria. Yeah. Does that make it, it sense? It does. I guess you're, the assumption there is that you, you're kind of perhaps covering yourself with some neurotypicality, but as you say, um, that's an assumption. Uh, often what we find is that um, people are neuroatypical and perhaps it's more widespread than we think. This is just kind of like the average that we have in our heads, right? Right, right, exactly. The other thing that um, intrigued me, just partly because of the name of it, is the love control questionnaire. Um, Mm -hmm. And and that's something that you uh, required people to to fill in. What what does that measure? Yeah. So so in the task, we measured how well they could regulate their love feelings. Um, But we also wanted to test whether they thought they could regulate their love feelings. Um, And so that was what the love control questionnaire did. It it measures uh, beliefs uh, or preconceptions about love regulation. So that ties back to what we we started off um, talking about in the very beginning, that um, it seemed that a lot of people um, thought they couldn't regulate their love feelings. And if you think that, then you may not even try to regulate your love feelings. Um, 
you are heartbroken, for example. And so I wanted to see, can people do it? And do they think they can do it? Because I think both are important. Yeah, because often people um, who have very strong beliefs and hold on to them tightly, as you say, don't venture out of that zone. They have a script and life kind of plays out according to that script. Um, so, yeah, it, it is interesting to see how, how tightly people hold on to that and whether they can actually break that. Yes. And so, so if you think it's not possible to change your love feelings, then you're, you may not even try. Right, right. So yeah. could you walk us through what you actually did uh, for the experiment? And then we can talk about the, um, the results that you found. Yeah. So, um, so, so pr- first participants would respond to our ad uh, that they were interested. And then there was a screening over email to see if they uh, were still upset and if they didn't have any neurological disorders, uh, things like that. Um, and then if they qualified, they submitted those pictures over email to us. Um, and then they came into the lab and they filled out um, questionnaires. Um, and then we put on this EEG cap. It's a, it's a cap with little holes in it. And uh, you would attach electro- electrodes to the cap. And uh, we use that to measure their brain waves. And it takes about 30 minutes to fit that cap and make sure everything's connected properly. Um and then they did the, uh, the study, so they looked at all those pictures, they answered those questions in their head to make them do those different regulation strategies. Um, they rated after every picture how in love they were, how positive and how negative they felt. Um, and then after the task, um, they filled out one more questionnaire, I think, about um, how likely they were to use all of those different strategies. Um, and then they were paid and thanked for their participation. Right, okay. And so... They um, tried um, those strategies uh, and walk us through what you found. What were the effective strategies and what, what sort of effect did they have on love regulation and also the brain activity? Right. So we had the negative reappraisal where they thought uh, negative things about their beloved and that decreased how in love they were, uh, which is what we expected. Um, it also made them feel more negative, so it made them feel worse, which was in line with my previous study, but a little bit concerning because we actually hoped they would feel better if they were now less in love with their ex. Um, The love reappraisal uh, strategy didn't change how in love they were, and it also didn't change how uh, positive or negative they felt, so that didn't do anything um, in terms of how they felt. And then the distraction strategy did not change how in love they were, but it did make them feel better. Um, and then in terms of the brain activation, so in terms of this, uh, this brainwave that measures attention, um, all three strategies uh, reduce the amount of attention people then pay to their ex-partner, um, which may help them cope with seeing those pictures on Facebook or encountering their beloved or their ex-partner um, in daily life. Yep. So who who should care about this, Sandra? Um, what what's the point here uh, in terms of relationship st- uh, management strategies um, after a breakup, um, self regulation uh, strategies? What are the important take home points here, and how how can we apply them? Yep. Well, so who should care about this? Uh, everyone should care about this because the large majority of people will uh, experience a breakup, a romantic breakup at some point in their lives. And and some of us experience many more than one uh, breakup. Um, And so we all know 
um, that this is terrible, right? These breakups cause a lot of negative emotions. It either can even have health consequences of reduced immune function, for example. You, you don't sleep well, which is also not good for you. And so if we can find a way for people to better cope um, with these breakups, it can can really decrease a lot of suffering, if you will. And one of the things that you've pointed out there is almost like this um, partnership between this negative reappraisal, which can actually help you to reduce your love feelings. But the, the counterpoint to that is that it can make you feel worse. Yet distraction can yeah. work as a short term strategy to make you feel better, but perhaps isn't such a great long term strategy. So can you see those two being work, work together? Because it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so, so that's something that we'll need to figure out in future research because uh, I currently measured only the short-term effect. So people came into the lab and like they did a strategy and how does it make them feel now? Um, what we also need to figure out is the long-term effect. So what is the effect if you do this um, several times a day for maybe weeks or months in a row, um, then which one is helpful? And so, so even though negative reappraisal makes you feel worse when you do it, I suspect, but I I don't have the hard data to prove it, that in the long run, it may help you get over the breakup sooner. Um, whereas distraction may make you feel better right now, but there is actually actually some evidence from the emotion regulation literature that distraction in the long run is not a good idea because you're kind of avoiding the problem. Um, if you're just thinking about positive things unrelated to your beloved, then you're never dealing with the problem. And so the idea is that even though distraction may make you feel good at, or better, at least at this point in time, it may not be good to keep doing it over and over again. So we'll have to figure out um, which strategies are good in the short and the long term and maybe how we can use them together to um, to make people feel mm. better. Yep. One of the things that you mentioned in your paper, but you didn't look at particularly here, I'm just wondering if you're aware of any data on it, is the um, strategy of suppression. Because um, often people yeah. will say, you know, I'm just every time they have a thought, they they um, suppress it because they don't want to think about it because they're anticipating feeling upset by having that thought. Um, but what we know is the ironic rebound effect is that the more you try to suppress a thought, the more it pops up. Um, in the context of relationship breakups, what do we know about suppression as a, as a strategy? Yeah, so so there's definitely actually two different strategies that are often both called suppression. Mm -hmm. So in the emotion regulation literature, suppression often means suppressing facial expressions. So not necessarily suppressing right. thoughts or feelings, but making sure other people can't tell that you're, for example, upset or happy. Um, and we know that's not a very healthy strategy to do. Um, what you're saying, like suppressing thoughts or suppressing feelings, um, is more like distraction, actually. So I don't want to think about my ex. Let me think about something else that is unrelated and it's going to make me feel better. And so I think that that is also not good in the long run yeah. um, to do. Because yeah. um, from the Dan Wegner experiments is that um, if you're suppressing with the absence of anything else to think about, that's when it gets you into trouble. But if you've got something specific right. to think about and you're not kind of like searching around, oh, God, I've got to think about something else, then it then it can work better uh, because you've got something yeah. more specific to, to think about, which is kind of similar to distraction, which is which is what you were saying. Right. There, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about um, beliefs in love regulation? So for those people who perhaps believe that they could or couldn't regulate their love feelings, was there any difference um, between those two different groups of people? Um, 
I'm not sure if I ran those analysis, um, but I did find that people um, thought that um, lockdown regulation was not not really impossible, but also not really possible. So people didn't say, oh, yeah, that's totally possible. I do this all the time. Um, and so I show that it is possible, because if you think negative things about your beloved, you do decrease your love feelings. So these ideas that love regulation is not really possible are, are wrong, actually, and we may need to... Um, tell people about this, that actually they can regulate their love feelings. Yeah, because often people can feel um, victims to their own feelings here that feel like <laughs> helpless in the in the face of, 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 right. of all those love feelings that they have. And they're complex, as you say. But actually what you're showing here is that you can exert some control over them. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? Because there's other application of this love down regulation than just um, heartbreak. And what strikes me, and this is, again, anecdotal evidence, but, you know, sometimes people are in abusive relationships and they know their partner is not good for them and is, is, is uh, not treating them well. But then they'll say, but, yeah, I love this person. So what do I do? I cannot leave him or her because I love this person so much. And so this is also this idea like I cannot change how, how in love I am. I am really in love with this person even though they treat me bad. Um, so what do I do? But if these people could learn that they – could change how loved they were, then maybe they could downregulate their love feelings and then find the courage to leave this partner that is not good for yeah. them. I mean, that's quite challenging, isn't it, around the kind of romantic notions that we have, romanticized notions that we have in, in our culture around what love is and this kind of um, overwhelming feeling that you or event that you can do nothing about. What you're, what you're saying here is actually you can uh, and you can do it in quite a technical way. Right. Yes. And, and I mean, it's not an on or off button, right? It's not that simple, but you have some control over how in love you are. And so you can use that to your to your benefit. Sandra, what questions have you been left with here at the end of this study? What are you more interested in, um, in looking at? Yeah. So, I mean, each study just uh, results in more questions, right? Um, so so one thing is this the short term versus the long term effects. Um, another, uh, open question is, um, this, this is what we talked about earlier, like the differences or similarity between emotion and love regulation. So that's what we're currently studying. Um, also I'm very interested in what brain mechanisms. So what exactly is happening in the brain when people, um, try to regulate their love feelings. And then can we use that to maybe train people using biofeedback or neurofeedback, for example? Um, so there's lots of, lots of open questions still. Um, so I have still lots of work to do. Thanks for listening to this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it after our little break. Uh, don't forget you can follow us at WCWTP on Twitter or myself, Saab Johal at Saab, S-A-R-B, your host and producer. You can find us at whocareswhatsthepoint.com, find us on Facebook, or you can find me at my website, saabjohal.com. Thanks for listening again. If you did enjoy the show, please share it, tell your friends, come and rate us on iTunes or any other podcast app and review us too. It really helps us get out there and people to know about this podcast. Until next week, have a great week. And don't forget, who cares? What's the point?